Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. Let's pray together. Come Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds as we begin to unpack your word, as we begin to hear from this survey we took so long ago, as we think deeply about what it means to look in the mirror, to see your church, our faces, our part of the body of Christ. Give us wisdom, give us courage, give us hope. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're in Mark chapter 9, beginning in the 14th verse. Jesus, Peter, James, and John have been up on the mountain of transfiguration. They are coming down the mountain now, and we are back in this village where a really interesting thing happens. I think you'll be fascinated to hear this story. You've probably heard it many times, but it is a wonderful account of Jesus working. It also has some challenging elements that make us think about our faith, how we understand our faith, and how we put that faith to work. Let's hear the word of God. When they, meaning Peter, James, John, and Jesus, came to the rest of the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak, and whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid, and I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do it. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to Jesus. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood, it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able, if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able... All things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. 
After crying out and convulsing him terribly, the spirit came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When Jesus had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, This kind can only come out through prayer. This is the word of God for the people of God, and so we say, thanks be to God. This rather strange passage from Mark chapter 9 might seem like a strange place to begin unpacking our massive church survey, which over 300 of you completed last year, but I think it's actually a pretty good place to start because we get to see the father of this boy, the boy, the crowd, the disciples, and even Jesus grappling with how they think about faith and how they use their faith. Jesus, of course, is in the middle of all of it, which makes this so meaningful. The survey that you all took last year, as I mentioned, was very different from other surveys and polls. If you took that survey, you probably thought, one, it was long, and two, it was real irritating to get through that whole thing. I had the same response myself, and uh, it was a long, complicated survey. But this was different. It wasn't a poll. We weren't asking you uh, what you thought. We know what you thought. You all share that very freely, and we're grateful for that transparency that we have. We were trying to understand how you think what you think. That's what we were looking for with this survey. Specifically, we wanted to discern and define how our people understand their faith and use their faith to engage with the world around them. It has been a real look in the mirror, for sure, to look at the results of this survey. In Mark chapter 9, we find disciples who are unable to do the work of Jesus. We find a desperate father who just wants some help for his boy. We find a crowd watching and wondering when Jesus comes on the scene, the father tells his story again, and he says, if you are able, if you are able to do anything, please have pity on us and help us. There is a desperation in his voice that some of you have lived in very real ways. Jesus answers this exhausted statement of faith with a bit of indignance, which I think makes all of us uncomfortable. He turns on this father and says, if you are able, what do you mean if you are able? If you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. If we went around the room right now and asked for your immediate reaction to what Jesus says here, most of you would fall into two camps. Camp one, you would say, Jesus is exactly right. All things can be done if you just get your belief right. Have hope and believe. That would be camp one. Camp two would have a different response. Camp two would say, okay, Jesus, I do believe, but I've known a lot of people who believed and nothing was done. Jesus, what do you have to say about that? That would be camp two. Two very different responses to the same story. Right away, we discover that even in the same family, we use our faith differently. Is our faith used to get things done? Is it a comfort or do we lean on our faith for certainty? Do we lean into our faith to deal with the tough questions of life and faith? Each of us is different. We understand and use our faith differently and this shapes 
how we see each other and how we see the world around us. For example, I don't mind the tough questions of life and faith. I can deal with those. I can spend hours working on the tough questions of life and faith as long as I am grounded in the certainty of my faith. Some folks live for the questions and don't really care about the certainty at all. I make them nervous and they make me nervous. (laughs) And that's okay as we work together through life and faith. I think that we're actually all caught up in the voice of this father when he cries out, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I think we're all there at that same place. Now, we tend to think of folks who use their faith differently than we use ours as just folks with a weaker faith, don't we? We often say, well, their faith is it's just weaker than mine. Or if you're feeling particularly self-critical today, well, their faith is stronger than mine. We might take it that way too. But it's actually so much more complex than that. It is not at all that people who ask questions have a weak faith and that people of certainty have a strong faith. In fact, it's usually the opposite of that. It's way more complicated than that anyhow. I want you to imagine a a kind of a quadrant or a graph. If you look on the front of your up and coming, you've got a picture of what I'm talking about. On the the bottom, on the right-hand side, there is a, a graph, and you've got a vertical axis and a horizontal axis. The vertical axis says uh, communion with God. And what we mean by that is this is our closeness with God, how we are in relationship with God. That's the vertical axis. On the horizontal axis, we have something called complaint with God, complaint. Complaint with God is kind of a strange way of saying this is where we bring our tough questions to God. We lay them at God's feet. Maybe you've got questions about the nature of human suffering or where God was when something happened. That's complaint with God. On one side, we've got kind of a low complaint with God, and then on the other, we've got a high complaint with God. You can imagine, before Jesus walked on the scene, the crowd and the failing disciples were in complaint with God. They were saying, why can't we do this? The crowd was saying, why can't they do this? We were all in complaint with God. This is the space where we ask those questions about why do bad things happen to good people and where was God when that terrible thing happened. Some of us were trained in childhood that this is an inherently bad place to be, that you should never question God, that you should never be in complaint with God. While others of us learned early on that we can and should enter this space anytime we need to ask God these tough questions about life and faith. Now, it's a lot easier if we look at the picture on the left side of your paper to think about faith as an either-or or kind of a single-axis proposition, that we're either in communion with God and low complaint with God, or we're out of communion with God and have a high complaint with God. But that's not really realistic. That's a very simplistic way of looking at it. The two axes create a more realistic model for understanding our faith. When you look at it like this, I know this is a little tedious, but we're getting there. When you look at it like this, two primary descriptions emerge for how engaged Christ followers understand and use our faith. The first one that we look at is uh, what is called a summer Christian. Sally mentioned that in her prayer. And the second is a winter 
Christian. If you look at the graph on the right side, both of these are above the line. Both tend to have a fairly high communion with God, but summer Christians live a little bit more on the low complaint side, the low complaint with God side, and winter Christians live a little more on the high complaint with God side. This becomes really important as we unpack this survey. We definitely discovered these descriptions in the life and family of our church, and we definitely realized that they shape how we view the world and each other. This is going to be very important as we go through the next three weeks. The truth is, any of us can be any place on this chart at any given time or on any given day, but most of us have a quadrant in which we generally live. Summer Christians, summer Christians tend to have an existentially consoling faith focused on certainty and optimism. They use faith to keep focused on hope for a brighter future as they go through the difficult times. This is how summer Christians tend to see the world and use their faith. Winter Christians tend to have an existentially questioning faith focused on wrestling with evil and pain and suffering. They use their faith to wrestle, grow, and extend through those same times of struggle. Very different approaches to the way we use our faith. Both summer and winter Christians feel that staying close to God is vitally important, but we do have unique blind spots. Summer Christians often need help taking off the rose-colored glasses so that they can see the places of pain and suffering in the world around them. We have to have help taking those glasses off so that we can see the places God might need us to go and share our hope. Winter Christians often need some help lifting their eyes above the tough questions of life and faith so that they can bring all the wonderful things they've learned about the love of God in the midst of the struggle to the struggles of faith and life unfolding in the world around them. Summer and winter Christians can balance each other really well. At first glance, what we find is that they irritate each other really well. <laughs> they can actually balance each other really well. I want to give you a simple example from our own clergy team. You may have guessed this already. I am mostly a summer Christian. Chrysalyn Durham, our executive pastor, is mostly a winter Christian. When we come to see you in the hospital, we rarely go together because there's so many people to see, but we're both going to listen to you. We're going to pray with you, read some scripture with you. I'm going to make you laugh before I leave your hospital room, and Chrysalyn is going to have a good cry with you before she leaves your hospital room. And the truth is, sometimes you need both of those things, don't you? Sometimes you need to laugh. Sometimes you need to cry. My greatest pastoral care memory, I, I think it's my greatest pastoral care accomplishment of all time in the last 18 years, happened up at Cookville. A woman named Rita. Rita was in the hospital. She had complications from diabetes and was having to have a toe removed. Some of you know this journey. You understand what this is like. She had been in the hospital for two days and was inconsolable. Her four friends were gathered around her hospital bed. She sobbed for two days. She wouldn't eat. She didn't know what she was going to do. It was just awful. They could not get her calm. They had given her medicine. Nothing would calm her down so that they could proceed with the surgery to remove her toe. The friends called and said, would you please come over here and do something 
we can't get her settled down to do this surgery. We just don't know what else. We've tried everything we know. So I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I was 26 years old. I went over to the hospital. I had known her a long time. I used to cut her yard when I was in college. So I had, I had a good long relationship with Miss Rita. I walked up to her bed. I'm going to come right here to show you this. I walked up to the foot of her bed. I looked at those four women. I looked at her. She's just crying, been crying two days, hadn't eaten, just was in a state. I flipped the covers back, and I looked at her feet. I looked at her feet for a long time. And I looked at her and said, Rita, it's just a toe. You got nine others. And your foot's going to look a lot better when you get that horrible thing cut off of there. <laughs> and covered her feet back up. She started laughing. <laughs> she started laughing, and then we were all laughing, and they were able to do the surgery. Now, if I had done that and was in seminary, I'd have gotten thrown out because that's not what she's supposed to do. But that's my favorite pastoral care accomplishment. Chrysalis is very different. Chrysalis is the time that she spent a whole day with a 20-something whose faith had absolutely collapsed because of a very horrible tragedy in that person's life. She waded through all the questions. She sat for hours. She cried. They wrote. They talked. They did everything that you have to do to get through those moments. And Chrysalis left behind crucial foundation stones for that person upon which a more vital faith could be built. That's Chrysalis' most important pastoral care accomplishment. Very different than mine, isn't it? Very different. Our church is full of both summer and winter Christians. The survey helped us to see just exactly how full and how much we struggle to understand each other. One of the building blocks to understanding each other is to begin to understand why we are the way we are. We measured 15 different dimensions which helped us understand all of this. We asked uh, lots of questions, questions about political ideology, how we use the Bible, attitudes toward human sexuality, all sorts of other things. We thought we would find groupings around ages. In other words, we thought that our church family would divide up around ages. This age group feels this way, that age group feels that way. That's what we expected, but that's not what we discovered. We discovered that we are very, very complicated, and age is not at all the gathering point for our differences. In fact, age is almost insignificant in this survey. We actually discovered three very distinctive groups of people in our church. We gave them names just so that we could talk about them a little bit. We discovered three groups, the reliables, the advocates, and the defenders. Let's, talk, let's, let's name each one. The reliables... The advocates and the defenders. Over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about each of these groups, uncovering their wonderful strengths and their weaknesses, which are usually balanced by one of the other groups. Each group understands faith and uses faith in different ways, which sometimes irritates the other groups. Some of these differences are quite massive and explain why we can sit in the same room with each other and sometimes wonder, are these people even Christians? Yes, they very much are Christ followers, but their faith and the way they use their faith may be very different than the way you use your faith. This doesn't have to be as frustrating as we often let it be.
Mark chapter 9 is one of the places where we get to see Jesus' frustration with his disciples. He says very pointedly, you faithless generation, how long am I going to have to put up with y'all? We aren't really sure if he's talking about the crowd or the disciples. I think he's talking about the disciples. They are trying to offer healing and wholeness in the name of Jesus, and they can't do it because they've already forgotten something that is so very important, something that we in the church are still forgetting today. When this little scene ends, the disciples are completely devastated in private with Jesus. They say, why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we do this? Jesus answers, this kind can only come out through prayer. Jesus is not talking about a magic formula. He's talking about deep communion with the living God, which binds us, the community of faith, together so that together we can share the ministry of healing and wholeness in the name of Jesus with the whole world. I am all the more convinced that our differences in the body of Christ are actually gifts from God which help us experience the fullness and the power of the body of Christ. But we must work to understand each other better, and we must seek this deeper communion with the living God, which will open our eyes to the beauty of God's church, sharing healing and wholeness with the whole world. We just need each other for that. We can't do this without each other. And prayer, lots and lots and lots of prayer. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the reliables quite a bit. We're going to learn all about them, and we'll learn some more about this summer and winter Christian dynamic. Until that time, we take our prayer as that prayer from the father of this boy. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May the people of God say, Amen. Amen. 